Speaking. Joining me now from somewhere near Heartland, our good friend Al Bat. Good morning, Al. How are you doing on this beautiful, beautiful summer day? Boy, you know, I staggered outside to begin my early morning walk. And uh, I think like every day, I'm just full of wonder and the spirit of adventure because something cool always happens. And I was greeted with the most spectacular view uh, I'd ever seen since, well, yesterday. It's another day. It's such a nice day. I wish summer had 1,000 days like this. Uh, I know that each day is fragile and fleeting, but a few more days of the caliber of this one, and a fella could be deluded into believing that the world had achieved perfection. And sits thinking, it's not me, it's an ancient and honorable tradition. And there was a cherry on top, a sulfur butterfly landed on me, and uh, that will bring good luck, I hope. I... Uh, I should, speaking of good luck, I want to thank everybody that came out on the Pelican Breeze. We had a full boat and uh, all uh, the good folks at the Parkinson's support group that I spoke to and everyone at the Ebling Family Reunion by lovely Meriden, Minnesota. And uh, I'll be at the uh, Freeborn County Fair all week. And I, I know uh, somebody had texted me earlier and said, mention who's going to be there uh, at the grandstand, not with me. But I, I don't. Uh, it's Ashley McBride, hmm. uh, Sammy Kershaw, Aaron Tippin. Uh, oh, man, I'm running down the list here. Aaron Tippin, Hairball which I'm guessing is, I, I better not say what I think they might be singing, because I'm always wrong. I think it's uh, 80s and, 80s hair, big hair music, so when Hairball sings stuff, you know, like that 80s harmony, big ballad stuff, you'll, you'd like it if you like 80s stuff. Oh, okay. And then Casting Crowns, which uh, is a Christian group, mm -hmm. and then Lanco, and I'm not familiar with them at all, but they're a... a big, uh, they have a platinum single, it says. They're the only country band to achieve a platinum single, the greatest love story. So, so a lot of, and then we have the free stage, where I'm kind of prejudiced because they're local folks, so I think they're even better than the ones that are in the grandstand. So, uh, if folks are there, we're in the conservation building, and uh, stop in for a conversation. We would enjoy that. Um, Mary Gugisberg, oh, you were talking about that knife. Gail has one of those. I, I call it a knife, but it's a gardening tool. Yeah, the Hori Hori. I, I said it's the best gardening tool money can buy, and why didn't I get one years ago? Does Gail like hers? Yeah, she does. Oh, my gosh. Yep. I, I've been asking for one for Christmas, and finally they had a sale at a local place, and I said, I'm just going to get my own. So I did, and I've been using that thing like you wouldn't believe, and oh. It's just it just does everything. It weeds, it chops, it you name it. <laughs> it does it. It slices, it dices, and it <laughs> even makes julienne fries and it saves you the cost of taking a self defense course. That's you're true. always armed with that baby. Too. Do you know I was thinking that I was out weeding yesterday. I was out six hours straight just weeding and, and I was thinking, you know, if somebody came upon me, I have this hoary hoary knife, I would look very formidable with this giant yeah, tool. Right. So yeah, so I could protect myself too. So it's it's um I'm not like a spokesperson, but man, I've just, I, I've read everybody else saying that, oh, that's the best thing they got, and me too. Well, I'm glad Gail likes hers as well. 
She sure does, and uh, it, it, uh, I gave it to her for, uh, oh, I don't know, Christmas, birthday gift, Mom's Day, one of those things, but it's nice when uh, I'm a person who's given, as most husbands and fathers, you know, we give a lot of really bad gifts, and we think they're really good at the time, and uh, so it's nice when something really works out. Uh, Mary Gugisberg. Mary lives in beautiful Freeborn, Minnesota. She said, a lot of damselflies. And there are a lot of damselflies. I'm seeing some. Uh, Me too. I saw a little, oh, maybe a week or two ago, I was seeing ebony jewel wings. These, um, they have beautiful black wings. They just, they're breathtaking. They're blue bodies with these black wings. And it's that time of year, Mary, where we see damselflies and dragonflies. And damselflies typically fold their wings on top of their bodies, where dragonflies leave theirs out sort of like a biplane, uh, an otter or a beaver maybe, or one of those planes. And Mary also said she saw a bald eagle with a huge amount of white. Uh, some do have more white than others. Uh, some, uh, we usually say, uh, four and a half to five years, they get a white head and white tail. I, uh, I'm involved, I'm on the board of the American Bald Eagle Foundation in Haines, Alaska. And we have, uh, she's much older than that, uh, female, and she still has quite a bit of brown on her head. And I don't think she's ever going to lose that. So she'll never have a typically white head. So it's a genetic thing that happens. And I'm sure that's the case here where this one that Mary saw had uh, so much white. Uh, Judy and Dale Christensen of Alden said they had a Cooper's hawk fly into their into their window, and it was uh, chasing some kind of bird, but it uh, didn't work out well for the Cooper's hawk. So uh, I suppose broke its neck, or who knows what happened. Uh, John McKean of Freeborn said this spring, he said, I've been meaning to tell you, but this spring I had the first two scarlet tanagers at my feeders that I've ever seen, and they were beautiful beyond words. So thank you, John. Uh, Cole Bauer saw an American widgeon, and that's a duck that when I was a boy we called bald pate because of the white head. And he saw that at the Armstrong Wetland Restoration in Steele County. Aaron Peach saw a, an American avocet in Sibley County. And, oh, I love American avocets. I was uh, in Kansas, and I'm out at uh, Cheyenne Bottoms, a big wetland, and I spent uh, an awful long time taking photos of American avocets. Uh, Doug Keezer saw a common gallinule at Sand Lake in Sibley County. A lot of your old field guides will show that as a moor hen, M-O-O, like the Scottish moors. Uh, Chad Hines saw a trumpeter swan and a bared sandpiper in Blue Earth County. Hmm. Brad Abendroth saw a common gallinule in uh, Watanwan County. And I want to thank Edie. I had a nice call yesterday from Edie from the Mankato Free Press, and we discussed uh, the beauty and the idiosyncrasies of uh, common nighthawks. Uh, I really, I really like common nighthawks. And um, 
Edie had some questions about one that uh, they found by their office there. Oh. Uh, things to look for around this time of year. Oh, there's a million things to look for. This, I will say this is kind of a slow time of the year. I heard from a number of people that said uh, that well, pretty much they had nothing to report. Uh, a lot of the birds, uh, the young have come out of the nests, and uh, the birds aren't singing, and it's just we're not seeing the migration much yet. But look for ponds covered with duckweed. It's tiny little flowering plants. It's it's a good thing. Some people go by and uh, probably dismiss it as algae or something, but it's uh, it's nice to have. Uh, barn swallows will be gathering on the utility wires there, the swallows that actually have swallow tails. Look for goldenrods, purple loosestrife, asters, joe pie weed, and Jerusalem artichoke to bloom. A common nighthawks will be migrating overhead soon. Uh, they appear to have holes in their angled wings. And we will see some gray silken tents of fall webworms forming in hardwood trees very soon. And they will feed on the leaves. They can make a tree look pretty tough. Uh, usually the trees will overcome it. I, I would, again, add if a tree is stressed or or has a disease, if these guys hit them hard for a couple of years, it could uh, probably have uh, bad results for that tree. Uh, the 86th Federal Migratory Bird Hunting and Conservation Stamp is available at many post offices for $25. What do you get with that? Well, we call it the duck stamp. It features a wood duck painted by Scott Storm of Freeport, Minnesota, and it serves as both a hunting license and a pass into any national wildlife refuge. And nearly all proceeds are used to conserve wildlife habitat. So whether you hunt or not, uh, the money goes to good purposes. Henderson Hummingbird Hurrah will be coming up August 17th. That's a Saturday in handsome Henderson, Minnesota. I love Henderson, Minnesota. It there will be birds, bees, butterflies, blooms, gardens, and hummingbird banding. Uh, you know, bring your, well, I tell people to bring their cell phone. Boy, why would I do that? Everybody has a cell phone. <laughs> but you'll be able to take uh, marvelous pictures with a cell phone to see a hummingbird being banded and see how tiny those little bands that go around their leg. And everybody's imagining something really small it's smaller than that it's just uh, it's incredible i'll be speaking there in the afternoon it goes from nine to four and uh, i know some folks have never been to henderson and um you need to write that ship you need to get to henderson it's a beautiful place i love going to tooties and get some ice cream and uh, it's a busy little town and it's just fun being there and the hummingbird hurrah it's just they have this hummingbird garden that uh, you just have to see it to believe it so and you will meet really nice people there so it's a wonderful place to walk around um i was there when i was ailing and my wife had to help me around i had a cane which uh, i i learned like uh, 
I remember my, some of my uncles and stuff would have those canes, and they could point at people and <laughs> say things like, "I remember when this was nothing but uh, but cornfields over here," and uh, people were so nice to me there as I hobbled around, and uh, I I just I love being there. I uh, got uh, two questions from the same person. Said uh, I don't see a name on it. One is, how can I tell a red fox from a gray fox? The second one is, how can I tell if it's a horn or an antler? Hmm. And, yeah, that second one's a great question because you see an animal and it's got a horn or an antler. If you call it a horn, somebody that knows will give you that look like, it's not a horn. So you get that kind of thing. Uh, First, a red fox or gray fox. A red fox... The easiest way is just because their colors can be deceptive. Uh, a, a gray fox can look pretty reddish sometimes. The easiest way for me is a red fox is to look at the tip of the tail. Red fox has a white tip to its tail, and a gray fox has a black tip. So red and white, gray and black. And that's the easiest way for me to tell the difference. How can you tell if it's a horn or an antler? Well, horns look like daggers. Sometimes they're twisted, and antlers resemble branches with multiple points. So sheep, goats, cows, bison, they have horns. Deer, elk, moose, caribou, they have antlers. Horns are made of keratin, just as our fingernails are. Antlers are made of bone, and antlers are shed annually. Horns usually grow on both sexes, and antlers are typically found only on males. Uh, There's an exception to that last one. Female caribou um, do grow antlers. So it's uh, horns are keratin, antlers are bone. Uh, Antlers will have branches. And horns are typically like daggers, although sometimes twisted. So that's the easiest way to tell that apart. And and if you see a bear or something that has horns or antlers, I, I don't know what you would call those. So <laughs> there. I um, I saw a pretty young fawn last night when I was coming home from a meeting. Uh, somebody at the meeting said, "When when are fawns weaned?" And white-tailed deer, they're weaned at 8 to 16 weeks of age. So pretty quickly, but they'll still follow mom around, and and she will show them where the good, uh, the good green grass is or, or where your hostas are, whatever they think is, whatever she deems is best for her young. And um, there's a lot of them out there, so folks be really careful. They're crepuscular, so... Uh, Look at dawn and dust. Just be real careful when you're driving because um, they like to run across the road in front. And they don't do it. It's nothing personal against you because it doesn't do them much good. But they just, I don't know. You'd, you'd think we keep wiping out the ones that don't understand cars. <laughs> and we'd be left with those that really know cars. And that we'd be breeding deer that are much more aware of cars and they would stop on the side of the road and look both ways before running across. Um, This is a question, Karen, we get every year, I know, but we had really strong winds here. 
uh, trees were down all over, people were without power, and uh, they, uh, somebody asked, where do the birds go when there are strong winds? And I always give that kind of flippant answer, well, wherever the wind takes them, because that's partially true. They get blown around. But different birds use different methods to wait out a windstorm. They seek shelter if they can. Birds that normally roost in cavities, such as chickadees, oh, like uh, small owls, screech owls, uh, woodpeckers, they will hide out in their natural cavities or roost boxes. That's the group I'd want to be in. I'd want to be hiding in a, a hidey hole somewhere. Many birds will seek shelter on the lee side of trees, along tree trunks or inside thick hedges or tangles. Some find their way into buildings. They hunker down. Birds are made to survive what uh, nature throws at them. Uh, Mrs. Cliff Rask, who lives in Albert Lee, said she was watching these trees whip around, and one tree went down, a big tree fell down, and the tree next to it had a bald eagle nest. And she saw the an eagle in there just spreading its wings and just trying to stay in place in that uh, nest and was able to do so. But she said it's amazing how it could keep its place on that nest as strong as those winds were. So uh, eagles are, like all birds, they're, they're really good at what they do, and that's how they get by. Uh, someone asked, do trumpeter swans migrate? Millie Westland said she saw some trumpeter swans. They were uh, south of Hayward, Minnesota, and they do migrate, uh, sort of. Uh, trumpeter swan, the cygnets will begin to fly around 15 weeks, so that's, oh man, that'd be somewhere around, you know, 90 to 122 days after hatching. And they are short distance migrants. The majority of Minnesota's breeding population migrates only as far south to, uh, until they find open water and food. And we have two power plants that offer viewing sites for Minnesota's wintering swans. There's an Xcel Energy's Monticello nuclear power plant along the Mississippi River and Otter Tail Power Company. That's a coal-fired power plant in Fergus Falls, and that's along the Otter Tail River. So uh, if you want to see uh, some in the winter, and I shouldn't even be using that word yet, winter, but if you like to see some and you happen to be around Fergus Falls or Monticello, there are places there. There's um, a family that feeds them in Monticello, and you can see great numbers of them in the wintertime. And Karen, I stopped at Schaff Gardens in uh, Albert Lee. It's uh, off Highway 13, so it's one I go by a lot. And I like going there, and I walk around, and I look at the butterflies and the dragonflies, and I looked at the rose bushes, and the leaves are all skeletonized, and they were literally covered with Japanese beetles. And this is uh, July and August are when I've noticed the beetles at their busiest. They're just everywhere. And again, there was somebody walking there, and they said, oh, aren't those beautiful? And I said, well, you know, I guess it depends on your viewpoint. 
if you have a garden, they're probably not so beautiful. They're they are pretty insects, but it's amazing. And I I think it was three hundred to four hundred different kinds of plants now oh. that they have found these Japanese beetles eating. Uh, so, folks, if you're in a garden or if you're walking somewhere and you see leaves that are skeletonized, and as soon as you see a leaf like that, you'll know what I mean. Um, look around for kind of a little copper-colored insect, and they'll have little white marks around the end of their shell, around the abdomen, and and those are little hairs, these little white hairs. And, again, they're very striking insect but they're so hard to get rid of and i i think they're worse this year than last year in talking to people well and last year was terrible what i did al this year i was so sick and tired of the japanese beetles so my yard looks like a bunch of yellow ghosts i ordered a bunch of these big uh they call them i guess garden nets online and they allow the light to go through but you put them on and the so you put them over top of the, I put them on my green beans, I put them on my hardy hibiscus, I put them on my crab apple tree, and so it looks like a bunch of ghosts, but then they can't eat the stuff. But I did notice on my hardy hibiscus, while they are, they're not eating the flowers, the flowers, because I think they're not getting quite as much sun, they're not getting quite as big either. So it's kind of a, a trade-off. Do you want the plant all chewn up, or do you want to, you know, the, the flowers to be bigger? So I've... I battled and I pick every day. I've got this giant bucket of soapy water in the yard and there are just so many Japanese beetles in there because I'll pick, you know, a handful off a day and I accidentally spilled the bucket. Boy, do dead <laughs> Japanese beetles smell bad. <laughs> oh, man, I bet they do. Ugh. That sounds like us. We used to go out and pick potato bugs. Did you yeah. do that when you were a kid? You yeah, know, I never did potato bugs. I don't even know if I know what one looks like. So I don't no. know if we didn't have them or we just didn't know about them. But yeah, uh, Japanese beetles, you put them in your hand, you get a handful, and then you close your hand up and it feels like these little things that are kind of scratching around. It kind of tickles. And I, if I think about it too much, I'd probably think it was gross. But I'm just like, nah, they're just little Japanese beetles. And then I throw <laughs> them in the bucket and then they drown. Oh, uh. They, we did sort of the same thing. I remember we go. Everybody seemed to raise potatoes at the uh, part of our farm is peat ground, uh, Mule Lake Farm. So it grew potatoes really well, and they used to raise potatoes there. You could see where they had these big dugouts for storage. So mom and dad would always raise potatoes down there. But we'd get them. I think they were. I think their full name is Colorado Potato Beetle, mm -hmm. and we just called them potato bugs. And you go down there and pick them off there and uh, toss them in. The neighbors would use a, uh, they'd give us, each of us kids, a pail of turpentine. And we'd go throw them in there. And they were kind of, oh, yellowish, orange, and green. They were kind of, oh, they had kind of an eerily alien look about them, like they'd come from another, uh, another country or something. And they had, I remember they had little heads 
are like human-like heads. They were kind of cute that way, um, but they had big jaws, and they were just nasty guys. And I thought they were cute, but I really liked potatoes, man, mashed potatoes, fried <laughs> potatoes, uh, potato pancakes. I, I like potatoes a lot more, and I like those beetles. And then Mom would give us, sort of like you do, I think it was Dawn dish soap she thought was the best, and you'd put them in a pail and just some sudsy. <laughs> Sudsy water, and you dump them in there, and I'd always tell Mom uh, how many I put in there, and it was always a lie. I'd always <laughs> I'd put a lot more in there than I really had, but it was a um, a lie that really didn't hurt anybody other than those beetles. But it, there's always something that's out there that wants to eat what we have. Uh, Gail and I saw a um, chipmunk carrying away one of our little um it was not quite ripe tomato, and it was just so happy to have that tomato, and away it goes with it, and uh, we miss having that tomato, but it made a chipmunk very, very happy, I think, so that's the good part. Do you know what they do in my garden? They just go and they take a couple bites out of one, so when I pick it, it looks really good, and then when I pick it, I look, and then there's these bite marks out of the, the other side, and I just go, grrr, because, you know, I don't know that I want to eat it, because I don't know where the the chipmunk's mouth has been. So anyway, yeah, they just like to munch them. Hey, I got a couple of of um, text here today, this morning. Sure. One of them is, what do you call a bear with antlers? Oh, yeah, I, sh- I just talked about that. I should have come up with a name. I don't know. A beer. <laughs> oh, man, a beer. Oh, and that's good. Our friend John in New Alm also sent one. He says he sent a postcard with a joke, but I haven't got it yet. So he said it's an easy joke. Uh, what was uh, what fruit is on a dime? What fruit is on a dime? Now he says it's easy, but I didn't get it, so it wasn't easy for me. But maybe you're smarter than I. I have no idea what the what fruit. It's a date. <laughs> and he also says he's got four or five cicada killer wasp nests here. He says, I need to get rid of a few. And that's, uh, I don't know. So what do cicada wasp nests look like? I guess I'm not even sure. So I wouldn't Just know if a, I saw one. A little hole in uh, sandy or um, loose soil. Oh. And uh, yeah, and they just drag, they sting cicadas and paralyze them, and then they drag them and throw them into those holes and lay an egg in in with them. And it's sort of like one of those scary uh, alien movies or something, and the egg will hatch, and then the larva will devour the cicada, and then they form a cocoon and spend the winter in there, and then next July and August we get a cicada killer wasp and they are big the females will maybe be up to two inches long the males are the aggressive one they'll buzz in our face but they are all bluff folks they don't even have a stinger they're one of those Hmm. guys that comes up and says "Um, why i ought to and (laughs) hoping that somebody will hold them back and they're the ones that are kind of cruising the territory and they want to keep everything else out of there but they do not sting and the females are not likely to sting because they want to save their stings for the cicada they can't sting us and then drag us and put us in that little <laughs> hole and lay a egg. if they could they probably would but 
I like cicada killer wasps. I'm just amazed at those. And I know uh, working at the fair, as I will be later today, I will be getting uh, 15 questions about cicada killer wasps. Do they harm they anything else, Al? I mean, are they harmful to plants? Or do they harm anything else besides no. the, the So they're really just an insect that doesn't bother us, so leave them alone. Yeah, and people are concerned because uh, volleyball courts, they will make their burrows there to lay uh, eggs and also like at uh, swing sets and things at parks where there's sand and gravel around some of those and at beaches so they like to build their nests where people like to be and and i certainly understand if folks have uh, some sort of allergic reaction to stings of any kind, uh, I'd certainly be concerned too. I don't know that I've ever been stung by one. I've been around them all my life and talked to an entomologist that has handled them, and he says uh, while studying them, he's never been stung either. So they're they're pretty uh, pretty well behaved. I hope everyone uh, will come to the cafe today. Stop at the Freeborn County Fair and uh, then uh, stop at the cafe on your way home. Uh, the cafe where the food chain is missing a few links. The special is always a Heimlich maneuver and gravy is considered a beverage and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any. Now, I was clueless but ambitious. Uh, when I wanted to be a Boy Scout, my motto was to always be prepared to be a Boy Scout. I got a merit badge in wanting to be a Boy Scout. It didn't work out. It was a considerable drive to the meetings, and they would interfere with farm chores, so I got outvoted on becoming a Boy Scout. The Rolling Stones were right. You can't always get what you want. I thought of that when my flight had been canceled. Then my replacement flight was likewise canceled. I spent the night in an airport. I didn't want to, but how many people get to spend a night in such an impressive structure as an airport? You know, wanting to be that Boy Scout has kept me hopeful. Remember, folks, Heartland is while we're driving past. Thank you all for listening. Uh, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. And thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful, wonderful company. And I hope uh, the Japanese beetles <laughs> continue to behave at your place. I do, too. Thanks, Al. Great to chat with you. We'll be back again next week. Thank you. You use the hoary knife on them, if nothing else. Ooh, I could, I could do some nice judo chops. Good idea. Thanks, Al. Our good friend, Al Bat. It is 1031, and you are listening to uh, Minnesota Morning on the Maverick on a Buddy Guy Day Sponsor Day because a blues legend, Buddy Guy, turned 83 years old today. So day sponsor, Jerome 